the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a ring of truth that is unmistakable Knowing that you cannot find them all And if you listen carefully And sometimes even if you don't You can hear that sound Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. Grace is undeserved love. And God loves the children of Israel because He's gracious. And we are told in the New Testament that God loves us and God chooses us not because we're so righteous and so good. He does so because He's so loving and He's so gracious. Because of grace. That's why God chooses us. That's why God loves us. He chooses us apart from our performance for Him. It's grace. Do you understand the significance of God's grace? Today, Pastor Dan teaches you that grace is undeserved love. God's grace is extended to you, not because of how good you are or by how you perform for Him. God's grace extends to you because of His never-ending love for you. Pastor Dan reminds you that God chose you, not because of anything you did, but all by His goodness and kindness towards you. You could do nothing more or less, and God's love for you will not change. His love is an unconditional love extended by grace. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 47, there it talks about a river flowing from the temple in Jerusalem during the millennial reign. And it's going to flow from the temple in Jerusalem and it's going to flow to the east out into the Judean desert all the way down to the Dead Sea. And it's going to bring healing to the Dead Sea. We want to turn over to Ezekiel 47. We'll look at those verses together. Ezekiel 47. So again, this is, this is during the millennial reign of Christ. When Christ returns to the earth and he establishes his kingdom on the earth. And he rules and reigns from the temple in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel has a vision of this future temple, the millennial temple. And chapter 47, verse 1 It says, then he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east for the front of the temple faced east and the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar and he brought me out by way of the north gate and he led me around the outside to the outer gateway that faces east and there was water running out on the right side. 
And when the man went out to the east with a line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my ankles. And again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my knees. And again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through, and the water came up to my waist. And again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, verse 6, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned, there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. And then he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region, And goes down into the valley and enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. Now to the east of Jerusalem is the Jordan Valley. The Jordan River flows from the north, from north of the Sea of Galilee, down through the Galilee, down south of the Galilee, all the way down to the Dead Sea. And the reason the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea is because there's nothing living in it. There's, its salt content is so high that nothing can survive. And there's no fish in the Dead Sea. But here this river flows out of the temple and it flows toward the eastern region and it goes down into the valley, the Jordan Valley, and it enters the sea. The sea to the east is the Dead Sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. Right now, the waters are dead. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. Look at verse 9. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever this river goes, will live. And there will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it, stand by the Dead Sea that's no longer dead. Now it's alive and teeming with fish. And it shall be that fishermen will stand by it from En Gedi to En Eglam. And they will be places for spreading their nets. And there fish will be of the same kinds of the fish of the Great Sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea. Exceedingly many. And so it tells us here that during the millennial kingdom, when Christ is reigning and this river flows out of the temple and it flows towards the east and goes down into the Jordan Valley and enters into the Dead Sea, everywhere the river goes, it brings life and it's going to heal the waters of the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea will become a place of fishing where fishermen spread their nets, it says from En Gedi to En Eglam. When we go to Israel, we go to En Gedi. Uh, and you can see the Dead Sea there from En Gedi. And so he, he's going to cause rivers to flow through the desert, just as he promises back in Isaiah 43. He's going to do this greater work than he's done before in Israel's past. You know, they had the they had the exodus coming out of Egypt. They've had the exodus coming out of Babylon. The book of Revelation that we're studying on Sunday mornings in Revelation 12 It describes a third exodus for the Jewish people during the tribulation period where they will flee into the wilderness. 
from the Antichrist and from the dragon, Satan. And they will flee to a place that God has prepared for them and a place where God will nourish them, it says in Revelation 12. And God will protect them and bring them through the tribulation period into the millennial kingdom, into the millennial age. And so they've got this this third exodus to come for the children of Israel during the tribulation and the millennial kingdom to come. Now, back in Isaiah 43, look at verse 20. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself were created for God. They shall declare my praise. We're created to praise God, to worship him. So here God goes through this whole chapter of all that he's going to do for Israel. And then in verse 22, he says, but you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But here's what you have brought the Lord. You have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquity. Now, we saw earlier in this chapter that God loves Israel and that they are his prize. They're prized by God. But what we see here in these verses is God loves them and God prizes them, not because of something special they've done, not because of their own merit, not because of their own goodness or their own righteousness or their own religious devotion to him. In fact, God loves them in spite of their behavior. All that they have brought to God is burdens. They've, they've burdened God with sins and they've wearied him with, his, with iniquities. And yet he loves them. Yet they're his prize, he says, in the very same chapter. Now, why? Why does God love them? Well, it's not because of who they are or what they've done for him. It's not because of how good and great they are. He loves them because of his grace. It's grace because he's a gracious God and grace is undeserved favor. Grace is undeserved love. And God loves the children of Israel because he's gracious. And we are told in the New Testament that God loves us and God chooses us not because we're so righteous and so good. He does so because he's so loving and he's so gracious because of grace. That's why God chooses us. That's why God loves us. He chooses us apart from our performance for him. It's grace. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. And look at what it says here. These are such such wonderful verses. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, in his love. So he chose us before the foundation of the world and he chose us to be holy and without blame in his sight, in his love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Now, why did he do this? According to the good pleasure of his will. That means he chose us and he adopted us to be his children because he wanted to. Not because we deserve it, but just because of who he is. He chose us and adopted us. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. We'll have more from this message in a moment. But first, we'd like to tell you about an exciting resource available this Christmas season. Here's Pastor Dan to tell you more. Christmas can be a very busy time of year for most of us, and in our busyness, we can forget the reason for the season, Jesus Christ. So my wife, Cameron, wrote a wonderful daily devotional called 31 Days of December. This simple devotional is written for women and is designed to help you keep Jesus at the center of your Christmas season. We would be happy to mail you a copy as our thank you for your investment of any amount in this daily radio ministry. To receive your copy of 31 Days of December, visit our website at calvaryec.com and click on Give. Now, let's finish today's message. Look at verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. When Jesus Christ redeemed us by his blood and forgave us of our sins, it was according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us. He gave us a lot of grace when he saved us. He gave us a lot of grace when he forgave us of all of our sins. We didn't deserve to be redeemed. We didn't deserve to be forgiven. We're sinners. By our very nature, we're rebels. And so he had a, a, it took a lot of grace. And it was an abundance of grace that he extended to us to redeem us and to save us and to forgive us of our sins. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. It was just according to his good pleasure because he wanted to do it. It pleased him to do it, not because we deserved it. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the time, of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. We have an inheritance in heaven, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He's, he's given us an inheritance in heaven according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Again, it's all because of his grace that we're saved, that we're chosen, that we're adopted, that we're forgiven, that we have this inheritance in heaven. Nowhere in here does it say anything about our merit or because of our our devotion to him. Or our religious works. Or, or how good we are. It's, it's all grace. It's all to the glory of his grace. 
back in chapter 43 of Isaiah, if you want to turn back there and we'll finish up. We see God chose Israel and loved Israel, not because of Israel, but because God is gracious. In fact, we see in chapter 43 that really the only thing that they gave God was burden. He burdened burdened God with their sins. They wearied God with their iniquities. You know, I think it was Alan Redpath who said the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is our sin. That's it. Everything else is God. It's all his abundant grace toward us and his mercy. Now look at verse 25. After telling them, you know, you, you, you haven't brought me burnt offerings. You haven't honored me with your sacrifices. You haven't served me. You haven't brought me grain offerings. They haven't observed the offerings and the commands that God gave them. He even says back in verse 22, you've been weary of me. The people were weary of God because he, you know, God provided a way for them to make a sacrifice to atone for their sins so that they could be reconciled with God. Right. But they're weary of that. They're tired of that. So they just stopped doing it. And now all they all, you know, they've burdened God with their sins and with their iniquities. And God says in verse 25, such a wonderful verse. I even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. They're not even bringing offerings anymore. They're not bringing the sin offering anymore. They're no longer even asking God for forgiveness of their sins. And he says here, I blot out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins any longer. It's it's for my own sake. By his grace. Not because they're asking for forgiveness. not, Not because they're bringing the prescribed offering for sins. And for their trespasses, they're tired of that. They don't want to do that anymore. And do you see God's grace here? Even though they're no longer doing that, God says, I'll blot out your transgressions. I'll remember your sins no more. It's just grace. And he says, I I do it for my sake because because God desires to have a relationship with them, just like he desires to have a relationship with us. That now he's he's the one who's doing something about their sin. Because he wants that relationship so desperately with us. Because he loves us. Right? We're the ones who broke the relationship with God through our sin. God is the one who sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. So that we could have a relationship with him. He wants the relationship. So he does it for his own sake. You know, a couple verses for you. Uh, Micah chapter 7. I'll just read one of them to you. Micah chapter 7. Who is God like you? That's what Micah means, by the way. Who is God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And here Micah asks, who is a God like you? Who is God like you that pardons iniquity, who passes over transgressions, who doesn't retain his anger forever, who delights in mercy, who has compassion, who subdues our iniquities, who casts all of our sins into the depths of the sea? Who is a God like that? A forgiving God. 
a merciful God, a gracious God. Who is God like you? Verse 26. Look what God says in verse 26 to the people of Judah. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. God, God says, put me in remembrance. Remind me. <laughs> Remind me, he says. Make your case. Justify yourself. Remind me of what you've done to deserve my forgiveness. Remind me of what you've done to deserve my grace and my mercy. Tell me again of the righteous things that you've done. Tell me again. Remind me because I can't remember right now of anything that you've done. Why you merit forgiveness. So go ahead. Present your case, he says. Why you think I should forgive you. The Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags. We've got nothing in ourselves to boast of. No merit. It's all grace. And then he says in verse 27, your first father sinned and your mediators have transgressed against me. He says here, you know, through your entire history, your entire history has been one of sin and rebellion against me, going all the way back to your first father, Adam. You know, all through human history from Adam, from the first father, we've all sinned. And we know the Bible says the wages of sin is death. When Adam sinned, death entered into the world. The wages of sin is death. And everyone since Adam has died because everyone since Adam is a sinner, just like Adam, except for Jesus Christ. That's the only one. He's the only one who was without sin. And here God says, from your first father, you've rebelled against me. You've always been this way. He says, and Israel's mediators have transgressed against me. Jesus is is the only perfect, sinless mediator. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He's, He's the only mediator. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. I will give Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. Israel has rejected God's means of dealing with their sin. They're weary of bringing the sacrifices and the burnt offerings. They don't want to do that anymore, but that's God's prescribed way of dealing with their sin. And because they don't want to do that anymore, all that they're left with then is the curse of sin and the reproach of sin. And the same is true for any person who rejects God's prescribed way of dealing with sin. If they reject the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world, all they're left with is the curse of sin and the reproach of sin. But if we accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, right? The curse is taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And all of the reproach of sin has been removed through the cross of Christ. And we stand before God clean and whole and right in his sight because of Jesus. Not because of anything we've done. Not because we deserve it or not because of our merit, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We stand before him blameless and above reproach. He asked me how I know 
We're so glad you joined us today for Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear additional teachings from this series, they're available to you for free at calvaryec.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. That way you will have access to each message as soon as it's made available online. That website again is calvaryec.com. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, we'd love for you to worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. Again, that phone number is 410-491-4592. We look forward to you joining us as our guests. And please, take a moment to introduce yourself to Pastor Dan after the service and let him know you listen to Ring of Truth. With that, our time with you has come to an end today on Ring of Truth. Join Pastor Dan next time for more from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Isaiah, right here on Ring of Truth. It's true.